if this is working correctly, we are live on Twitter. Uh, welcome to season one of the One Big Idea podcast. This season, I am uh, here joined by David Greenstein, the co-founder of Sound XYZ. Uh, David has become a near, dear, near and dear friend of mine. Uh, really excited to have him join today and, and talk all things Web3 music, sound, and yeah, where he sees the future of the space going. So David, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, it's been probably like over a year now since we uh, first did that original meeting when you were still at Venice and just excited and honored to be uh, to kick off the One Big Idea season one. Yeah, I actually wrote about that recently in a giant expose about sound, which we can definitely dive into of that like cold fall day. And it was like November two NFT NYCs ago. And it was you were actually getting ready to gear up for the Genesis launch of sound. And so we'll definitely tap on that and, and really what the maturation of sound has looked like over you know the past year. But we'll take a step back first and would love just a brief, you know, description of your background, who you are for the audience, um, you know, what your career in music has been up to this point. Yeah. So I always say like I was extremely privileged and lucky and grew up in New York City and um, you know, somebody came to speak during like one of those like you know assemblies when you're in high school and it was Craig Kalman uh, who basically runs Atlantic Records and um, still runs it to the state. And basically I was like, that sounds pretty cool as a career, you know, working, you know, in, in the music industry. And I was like, maybe he'd be dumb enough to let me, you know, maybe start working there and started interning at Atlantic when I was like 13, um, for Craig and Gina Tucci, who's still there to the state. Um, it kind of served as like a lot of the, like just the insights that like I kind of built up with just talking to artists and managers at such a young age. And a lot of the problems like ring true today, like I always talk about, you know, and how do artists, you know, get paid and how do artists get heard and the same, you know, kind of problems. I, I kind of became obsessed with like the business model of music and like how kind of the music industry was going to change. And I was always trying to figure out where my passion in music was going to lie. Cause it certainly wasn't going to be an, as an artist. I went down, you know, a DJ route for a second. Um, and, uh, you know, I think music and tech and the intersection of the two have always been my passion. And I worked at Pandora for, you know, a couple of years working on like recommendation systems and building features in the app and always been obsessed with like product. Um, and then obviously started my, my own company for a second, which was like a TikTok analytics thing. One of the things I've always been obsessed with is like, where are, um, where where is music being discovered and you know how much talent is sitting on the internet i think music is one of the most inefficient talent systems in the world um and how do we you know build build things that surface the uh the best the best talent to the top so that's kind of yeah just a bit so two things i would love to to go a step further on so one you talked about you know these early atlantic record days pandora really being like on the front lines of seeing how the music industry works today and what the problems were that you know eventually led you to create a company like Sound? Can you give the audience who may not be familiar with how the music industry works and like what were some of those problems that you identified early on? Yeah, so I think there's kind of like you know why like the label has typically played the role of like essentially talent scouts and you know the music industry, and I'd say there's like three main value props that labels have historically provided to to, to artists. Um, one is like the financial kind of support in terms of like, you know, it costs money to, you know, have a, to, to make the creative process, whether it's making, you know, music videos or the recordings costs. Um, and so labels have been one of the only sources of capital to basically support, you know, artists. Um, the second is obviously, uh, on the A&R side, uh, which is like stands for artists and repertoire, uh, which is really like the, 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 both the talent discovery, but also like making the records and obviously like, you know, 
putting songwriters and producers together with other artists and kind of that creative collaboration process. And the third is, just, you know, historically been marketing. Um, and, you know, it used to be that you had to get into like a record store. Um, and, you know, a lot of those times it was very relationship driven and there was only so many spots in the record store in order to get in. And so it kind of like served the need for being um, like for having those relationships at a, at, a, at a label. And also it costs money to manufacture the CDs and who was actually putting up the money. So unlike, you know, the startup world where there's like an abundance of capital, a lot of the times music, like there weren't the still isn't a lot of sources of capital for who's going to fund artist career. Now, one of the positives of the, of the internet, and I always say like the only constant is change is, is, you know, the, basically the cost of distributing music has come down to zero. So now that, you know, it's pretty easy to get your music out on the internet and, you know, the marketing side of things, it used to be like, if you're signed to a label, it meant to do the next big thing. Like it was that they, they were kind of the tastemakers. But now if you go up to people on the street, they have no idea who's signed to Republic or who's signed to, you know, a different, you know, Columbia. Um, and so really like the label has taken more of a foreground funded position. And then the marketing side of things, I think, you know, has historically been like, uh, it's kind of like a free for all right now. Like, you know, you get on TikTok, you, you hear the famous things, get on some Spotify editorial playlists, but um, there's not really like a secret blueprint for going, uh, going viral right now. And so it's kind of, to me, a really interesting time in music because it's kind of an even, even playing field. Um, from like, uh, how do you get off the ground perspective? I think when you get down the str- down the road. So I think that's really like, you know, I think one of the things that kind of exposed to me was just how the, the I guess the, the label side of things kind of typically works. And that's kind of one pillar of music, which is, you know, monetizing music. And then I'd say the other two big ones on the artist side are obviously, you know, touring, um, which is like a completely separate business. And then on, on the um, um, merch side as well, still pretty, um, pretty, pretty popular. And I, I think touring and merch go pretty hand to hand together, but, um, music has, I think been the most fascinating to me because it's the thing that where every artist starts. Um, uh, but I think is one of the most under monetized, um, like forms of, of media. And I, I always, uh, you know, talk about like consumption versus monetization. If something is consumed a lot, it should also be monetized a lot. And music is one of the most consumed forms of media, it, debatably the most con- consumed form of media. Uh, but it like trails behind some of its peers in terms of like monetization, like the video game industry is so much more monetized than the music industry, despite the fact that so many more people, you know, listen to music and interact with music than play and play. So really, really around um, the one part was just around like, how do we actually like, start to like think about what is the value of music. And then the other, the, the other part is like, there's just so much talent that was like, uh, I think this is something that like kind of got exposed to me early. That's just sitting on the internet waiting to get discovered. And like, you would think that there's some crazy way to, you know, if you're talented, you might just end up, um, you know, blowing up. Um, but really like, it's a pretty, it was up till very recently, still a pretty manual process of like gut and instinct and reaching out to people. And I think that used to work because there were just so few people trying to be artists. But with right now, you know, the, the, I always say the cost of making music has never been cheaper, but the cost of getting your music heard has never been more expensive. So there's so much music today, that which is incredible because the tools to make music are you know, are, are so, are so incredible. Um, but it's actually pretty hard to get people to listen to your music. And so part of like what my inspiration has always been is like talent is equally distributed opportunity is not. And how do you create as much opportunity for, for artists that are talented on the internet, uh, as possible, regardless of where you come from, regardless of who, you know, in the music industry. And that obviously has served as a lot of the backbone of inspiration for kind of, you know, how, what we, what we do in sound. 
Yeah. And as it relates to distribution, I mean, you kind of touched on how the relationship between a label and an artist has changed over time, right? Like you mentioned how historically it was a finite amount of supply when it came to distribution. You had record stores that you were selling into, you had radio and slots that you were selling into. Now, whether it's being able to see everything on TikTok or Spotify, like how have you seen streaming change both like distribution and, and what that means for artists and the types of opportunities that they have, but also discovery. Like how does that change the relationship that fans now have trying to find music as well? Yeah. So I, um, it's a, a good question. I think, I think, uh, which rant do we want to go down? I think there's, um, so the, there's two parts of this. One is like, there's the active and passive, uh, form of music consumption. Music has kind of had this journey of like active and passive listening. I always talk about active is like, I'm sitting here with headphones, really leaned in, trying to concentrate on the music. Passive is I'm going on a run. I'm putting on a playlist. It's in the background. Like I've, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know what's being played. I'm just going on a run and enjoying it. And part of the beauty of music, what makes it such a, con- a consumed form, a form of media is that it's able to be active and passive. It's much harder to watch a video passively because you need to be focused on the screen. Um, and so if you think about the history of music, um, it kind of starts obviously with like, you know, CDs and, 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 and you know, vinyl and so you had to purchase it, right? And so if you're purchasing it, you have to be pretty conscious about what you're purchasing. You didn't just go around randomly purchasing, you know, vinyl. Um, and so that was like a very, like, you know, um, that was a very um, active form of listening. Then you have something like Napster come along and Napster is obviously, you know, much more, passive because anyone can listen for free. You don't have to really you know, think about it. Um, and obviously the problem with Napster was that you can't just monetize music for free and not pay artists. And so Napster ends up, you know, not working. Uh, and then, you know, iTunes comes along and iTunes is pretty active. Like you had to pay to listen to the song. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just spend money on songs you don't want to, you know, actually like. So it's a pretty conscious form of listening. The negative is that most listeners didn't want to pay that amount of money per year for music um, for the, you know, the whole catalog. And then Spotify has come along and kind of reversed that trend. It's, it's pretty, you know, Napster, I always call it for nine ninety nine a month, uh, except, you know, it has obviously a business model baked in. And I think Spotify um, has done a lot of like, obviously good. First of all, like, they pay artists more than anybody else in the world does right now. And I always think about, it's easy to come with problems, but you got to come up with the solutions too. Um, and I think that's something that is really important is that they do obviously pay, you know, a ton of artists. I think what I think they've left, like the, the things that I think still exist today that are problems is Spotify is a very passive form of listening. Most of the, you know, m- traffic driving mechanisms are playlists that are owned by Spotify. And so they've kind of like created this illusion that, you know, anyone can get discovered at any point, but it's not actually true. So I always call them the phone book. Like everything is on Spotify. There's 60 million songs. The question is, what percentage of the streams are concentrated in a very, in in the percentage of those 60 million songs? And the answer is a lot, you know, fewer. Um, And so really, that's really where it got my interest. And this is kind of reflected in like their main metric on artist pages, which is like monthly listeners. One of the most, a lot of people um, famously like David Turner, uh, who works at uh, SoundCloud and ran a blog called Penny Fractions has talked about this. It's one of the most like insane metrics uh, because basically it says that if I listen to an artist one time a month, I'm essentially a fan of them. And so I think one of the negative concerns or one of the negative like things with streaming today is it's created this passive culture where, you know, you have artists that have really small monthly listeners, but have really strong fan bases. And then you have, you know, artists that have really large monthly listeners that can't even sell, you know, a hundred cap venue. Um, And so to me, it's like, you kind of have divided the music industry into two parts. You have the kind of the music, like, industry in the music 
kind of stuff and you have the artist industry um, and the music industry is like you could have the biggest record in the world right now and nobody really cares about you as an artist and the artist industry you could have you know really strong touring fan bases and never have a big hit song right and i think to be honest i, I think the artist industry is a little bit more healthy because we want to be creating these like generational artists that are like around for you know years and years and decades to come um but i think you know that's part of this like the, the song has become in the playlist like you you i go up to people on the street like you know when you talk with them and sometimes they they like you ask them what are you listening to and sometimes they'll say playlist names right over like artist names or song names which is like crazy to me that like the playlist is what you're listening to right, right. Even think about the artist versus i feel like you know even a decade ago people would say hey i'm listening to drake or hey i'm listening to billy eilish and you know i do that as well by the way people would be like oh what are you listening to these days like oh like if i'm just going for a run or whatever i'll throw on like pollen like because i have like the type of vibe that it's going to play without knowing like the exact artist totally and i I think the 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 thing that got my like gears churning was like a lot of these playlists like if you go on the homepage of spotify every single one of these playlists is owned by spotify and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that inherently but the problem is that there's sixty thousand tracks being uploaded per day and those playlists are largely curated by you know humans and that you know everyone has two ears at the end of the day there's only so much music you can listen to and so i've always been obsessed with like how can you create systems where the best you know talent naturally rises to the top and it's not something that can be gamed it's not something that can you know uh, you know, you want to create about as, as fair a game as possible. Um, and that to me is like kind of the, the, the original like inspiration behind sound is like the next Justin Bieber, the next Drake, the next whoever is sitting on Spotify right now. I guarantee it. The question is, you know, why are we doing this podcast and not trying to find him or her? And, you know, how do you create that, you know, incentive to basically, um, you know, go, go, go find, uh, go, go find the next artist. So I want, I want to go a step deeper on that game that a lot of people may not realize is actually taking place, which is you, know, you talked about monthly listeners. And for those that don't know, like how artists are paid on Spotify and these streaming services is a pro rata of all of the plays that take place. And so the incentive is to get as many plays as possible. And it's really interesting. And I'd love to hear you kind of talk about this of what you've seen in terms of trends of how people are trying to game quite frankly, a very opaque system. Like, how do you get on these playlists? How do you get on, like, the TikToks? There's a couple there's a couple problems that, uh, that we got that we got to yeah. talk about there. Um, one is, like, um, uh, you, the, the, one of the problems that I see today is, like, artists are basically, like, let's build the most, pa- like, it's, uh, you know, you basically want to build this like passive army that will stream your music on the right. playlist right over and over. And it doesn't really matter if they're real fans or not real fans. They're right. kind of all treated the same. Um, and so to me, like, I think, you know, you, it, it kind of is against the whole, like, let's build this like active fan base that like will really, really care and follow you and be with you for a while. And how do we actually measure that? Two is like the price per stream is calculated based on the pool of money that Spotify gets every month. Mm-hmm. So you essentially are capping the value of a song, right? Like the capping, it's tied to the amount of, you know, uh, revenue that Spotify generates in a given, you know, month versus like, uh, I think, you know, today it's like, how do you actually value a song? That's pretty like, like interesting question. Cause what yeah. is it worth? It's like this it, to some mm-hmm. person, it can be worth everything. It can be, you know, be something that, that changed their life or saved their life. Um, and so today I like, I think we really put a, put a cap on the value of music. And then from the listener side, I always talk about this. I'm like, if I'm the biggest fan of, of, of a song, uh, and you're the most casual fan of a song, you're the biggest fan of an artist and I'm the most casual fan of an artist. Um, we all pay the same amount, right? It's all right. one per stream rate, which I always found like pretty 
pretty fascinating in terms of like why why wouldn't we let somebody who's like a super fan really support an artist through their through the through their music and we have this in other formats like we have this in like you know if you're in concerts you can buy the vip tickets i guess if you want to spend more if you have merch you can go buy a bunch of merch but in music we just accept one price uh for every single you know um every single stream and, and that that's actually been a pattern that's existed for a while like you had 99 cent itunes you had 999 albums you've always had this like one price you know per per all the songs and I, i've always you know that's the other side of the equation is like how do you actually challenge what is the value of music and so you put those two things together you've got new ways to discover artists and surface talents at the top and you've got new ways to value and support music and that's kind of the uh that's kind of you know where where, where sound comes in you know, it's interesting. We'll, we'll get to sound here in a second. Uh, you can look up my background pretty quickly and know who I'm talking about here, but there was a program, I don't know if it's still licensed this way, that actually would delineate different pricing per play if it was on demand or if it was like passive radio streaming. Reason being, like, to what you said, like, is a play really a play? Like, am I as an artist, or sorry, as, am I as a fan? who then goes and actively seeks out a song and wants to like truly be a fan something versus I'm going for a run and it just happens to passively put in and I didn't really have any you know any inclination to put it on I didn't I didn't decide to put it on are those really the same thing and and really when you think about an incentive structures as an artist do we want those to be the same thing should they should it be the same value I I don't think so yeah, and I think the other side is on the listener side. If I'm the first, you know, person to support an artist or by by listening to their music or, or following them, um, like why am I treated the same as somebody who was like the one millionth, you know? And everybody right. there's different roles, but I, I think you see that kind of like natural desire for that, like the Spotify rap that comes every year. People, you know, share it, and there, there's like somewhat of a like, you know, that, that was kind of part of the reason why I was confident that there was something with sound was there was already there's there's always been this like demand to kind of show off like hey I've been a fan of this artist first I've oh I was that person as a kid that was like hey I discovered this artist before you uh, but you've never really had a way to like simply like kind of you know brag and show off and just make it fun to support an artist through their music um, and I think that's really like at the end of the day like we always talk about this but it's like keeping things simple and just having fun like that's really what it's all about and making it fun to put out music I think one other thing we didn't touch on is like putting out a song in today's streaming era feels pretty boring, honestly. Like you put out the song, it comes out, it comes out at midnight. There's no hype around it. There's no countdowns or, you know, people gathering. Um, It's really um, like, you can't tell the difference between a song that came out yesterday and a song that came out 50 years ago on on ESPs today. And I find that very, very like, you know, putting out music should feel like a celebration, right? Like I always say like in web three language, like, minting is the is is the win right just putting out and like taking the chance to release song into the into the world and i think uh is something that i think like hopefully like you know uh like we can kind of help help restore because i think yeah. you know there's probably there's so many there's so much music that is just sitting on the shelf either a because some label didn't want to put it out or b um because the artist is paranoid of like is it going to get on the right playlist and you know kind of the 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 release kind of stress that comes today and i think if we can build a system where you know artists are comfortable releasing experimenting and trying out things then like the world's going to be a better place because people are going to get to hear songs that would have never seen the light of day so um i think that's also is 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 at the core of sound no, it, it speaks to, we'll touch on this, this idea of context, which is something that I think sound has done really well is making each music, every drop have its moment, every song have its moment and really understanding that story behind it. I wrote 
uh, in a piece about sound uh, about a month ago, this idea of like really bringing back the blog boy era. Like I remember running home from school, like going to two dope boys or, you know, high snobiety or whatever, reading the blog of like, what was the new music coming out that day? Like I remember where I was when I read about section 80 coming out. I remember listening to, you know, comeback season, like all these like seminal works that all had their moments. And now it's like the incentives have shifted so much where it's just really focused on frequency. Like I hear all the time, all of these like IG influencers talking about, you got to release a song a week. Like everything is about catalog, put as much content as you can out there because ultimately that's what the algorithm is going to dictate. And I think what's so great about what sound is, and I would love to use this as a jumping off point to really have you talk about sound and, and what your goals are is that it's kind of antithetical to that. Like you can release as much as you want, but ultimately like every song should have its moment. Like every song is art and should be appreciated as its own right and moment in time and not just like something to feed the algorithm. So with that, it would love to hear, you know, what the genesis of sound was um, and yeah, how, you, how you've built it up. Yeah. So, I mean, sound is a suite of, uh, you know, tools that help artists monetize their music in new ways. And we basically built this site that just made it fun to put out music. So we built a site where an artist could upload a song. It creates this, still to this day, it creates this countdown before the song comes out. The artist can, you know, choose the price and, you know, the quantity of basically like these music NFTs. And I think music NFTs are a little bit akin to like digital vinyl. Um, and they have some unique properties that I think are interesting that differentiate itself from vinyl. Um, one of those is like, there's no manufacturing costs other than obviously like, you know, the, the gas fees for pressing, which are a lot cheaper than manufacturing vinyl. And two, one of the severe problems with, 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 um, with vinyl is like, you know, the only way I can show off my vinyl collection is, is actually like in my home. And it's really hard to invite the whole internet into my home. Um, and so I think one of the properties of obviously music NFTs is like people can show off and, you know, kind of brag about their music taste or collection across the entire internet. And I think that opens up some really, really, really exciting kind of possibilities. Um, and the goal was like, can we create a, you know, a system that like values music um, that incentivizes people to check out and discover new songs because you want people that are like trying to find like the kind of that feeling of going to a festival and seeing like you're the next artist that, you know, in between the, you know, the artists that you really came there to see and really just making it fun to, discover new music and basically underneath have like a fast, transparent, accurate global payment system, which, you know, is not exactly how the music industry works today. That powers the whole thing. And kind of like the, the, the goal was like building a new, like really thinking the music industry from like the ground up. And like, if we weren't beholden um, by any rules or any of the, you know, existing um, systems, like where would we start today? And like, how do we build this experience? And I think we chose to start on the like process of releasing music and build, you know, somewhat of a, uh, of a, of a self-serve tool for artists to basically, um, you know, upload songs. Yeah. And so take me through the Genesis collection of artists that you decided to work with. How did that come about? How did you decide on, you know, the price points and number of editions? I mean, this was all very new, like, to, to date before that, really, it was like one of ones that were popular with music NFTs, like it was catalog. And so even just the idea of moving from a one of one to additions, what was that thought process? And, and then how, how did you determine what artists to initially work with? 
Yeah. So I, I think part of this is like, as I said, like there's two problems. We just repeat them over and over again. One is like, how do you help artists make money on their music? It was like, of course we wanted to value and change the way we, we think about how music is valued. And two is like, how do you basically, uh, you know, help get people to listen to the music and like actually get, you know, cause it's not just about the money. It's also about like getting artists music heard by as many people as possible. And to do so, it felt really hard to do that necessarily with like one person. Uh, and so we wanted to build a kind of a community around music and that meant multiple. Um, and so the goal was like, basically, how do you form this community around a song, therefore a community around the artist, um, and basically start to build this like a thousand true fans for music was the original kind of goal here. And, you know, I, I think we started with this like little hook of like the SoundCloud comments. And I always thought it was really cool because music today is really not social in terms of it's a pretty isolated listening experience. And I always thought the SoundCloud comments were cool. And I was like, but nobody reads 10,000 comments anyway. So you might as well make them like a little, you know, scarce and um, basically what if you had to hold, you know, the, the actual music NFT to basically leave a comment. And when something is like something sometimes like simple and it seems kind of stupid, I'm like, that's usually the right idea. Um, Cause those are the ideas that I think resonate with the most amount of people. And that was kind of how we started. Now the background is way before I was, you know, had the crystal clear vision on like what sound was going to be. I was constantly talking to artists. I probably, I mean, if you were on the internet and like literally had your inbox open, I probably had DMG. I was in every discord, every Twitter, <laughs> every possible thing. And um, I would just join every like, everything that I, that like kind of inspired me. Like I was in front of benefits. I was in party bit. Uh, I was in the catalog discord. I was in song camps discord. Um, there's like too many to shout out. I was in C club. Um, and our, our, you know, other friends, arpeggi, um, had, you know, had, had just started. And I was just like hanging out, talking to people, whoever would be interested in talking to me. And I was iterating on a couple ideas that, you know, didn't end up becoming sound. And I basically was just like look, taking note of like, like all the artists that were like, you know, kind of inspiring me almost. Um, and I, I kind of started to reach out to some of them and say, Hey, would you be open to like brainstorming with me and talking about, you know, some of the problems that I think do these resonate with you? And like a lot of the Genesis artists were basically the artists that had kind of inspired me to even build sound in the first place. And we used to have this discord, um, still have the discord, but we used to have this, like, it was used to be closed and it was just like friends of sound when we like actually started to hone in our vision and we would always post you know, mocks of like what sound was going to be and like get feedback and like, Hey, we need, do you like this? And kind of would share ideas in that, in that discord with like the early kind of adopters and artists. Um, and yeah, that was kind of how the Genesis class was kind of formed. Um, and basically, you know, every, everyone always asked me like, so we did this thing where we picked the, the first edition was like 25 at point one. Um, and I wish I could have some really intellectual deep conversation on why we did that, but it really was just a conversation with, with myself and, and Oshi and Oshi was like, how many do you think we could do? And I was like, I don't know, man, like 20 would be pretty cool. He goes, I think we could do 30. I go, okay, like let's meet in the middle 25. <laughs> Point one seemed to be like the average mint at the time. So we were like, let's go with point one and let's, tr- I, I, I had like a loose idea, honestly, of yeah. like who would be like second and third. But like, I, I honestly had no idea what to, what to expect. Like to this date, like it was the craziest experience. I'll never forget it. Like it was just wild. Um, and what's, um, yeah, it was really just like the most insane experience and the site crashed famously and like, couldn't really purchase anything for a second. We had no idea what was going on. We, it was just, I never experienced it, anything like that in my entire life. And it was, that was something that was super surreal. And I was like, well, whatever just happened worked. We should probably run it back, you know, a second time, ran it back a second time. I, and I, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm willing to 
do some pretty wild things. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing it until it stops working. And we basically just ran it every single day for months. I, I, I mean, I had like peak COVID, like probably like the, the, the 12th or 15th day that we started sound like 102 fever. I was like, but we got to do the Twitter spaces. Like, let's, <laughs> let, let's do it. And we, you know, we did a drop on like Christmas and like the 31st of this must've been, I mean, this is 2020, I was like, are there people buying music NFTs on like, New Year's Eve or Christmas. I'm like, I'm still going to go through with this because I promised that we'd keep going. And we basically just ran it till, uh, you know, it kind of still hasn't stopped working, but we obviously created a little bit more sustainability in terms of doing it, you know, doing the Twitter space every single day. But we basically did a Twitter space for every single artist told the exact, told like the different story, the same format um, every single day for like six months. And I think honestly, maybe even longer. And I think the main point we were trying to make was like, if you really take the time to tell artists stories and, and the stories behind the artists and the songs, you can really get people to connect with the music. And that was what kind of created a lot of the, um, you know, the, the initial hype behind sound. So I always say there was a lot of hard work and sleepless, sleepless nights from not just myself, but the entire sound team. Uh, so it was a whole team effort and the artists were, you know, kind of showing up for the other artists. It was something that was like really beautiful to see. Uh, because I think today music is very much like a zero sum game where it's like, if, you know, Oshi is getting these streams and Rio is getting these streams, like they're kind of like kind of competing over the same pool. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, the goal, and we got a long way to get there is to show that music is like, kind of like, like nobody really knows the value of music. Right. So like right. it can be this world where we like all, you know, kind of collaborate and make music with each other. And like everyone kind of wins together. And you kind of start to see that, and like artist collectives, like loners and, you know, things like song camp, things like heads, um, which we can definitely dive into, but I think are, are super cool. Yeah. The thing that didn't immediately strike me, if we go back to that meeting we had at NFT NYC two years ago, almost two years ago, um, you know, when you talked about the like SoundCloud comments and how you were going to build community that was the only thing that stuck in my head. I was like, oh, I don't know if I get it. Like, am I going to pay, you know, 0.1 ETH to leave a comment on a wall? And then it very quickly flipped. And you kind of talked about this a little bit where it's like, oh, the community, that's not where the, that's not the end all be all the community. The community is the Twitter spaces. It's the joining the Telegram groups. It's everything around that. Like, yes, there's some status and the ability to like, there's some clout and, and showing that you were there first and all of that. And I do think that they're, you know, just being able to go back to those original releases and see who has a seat at the table of like the first Genesis drop definitely has like a lot of cachet, but the community was really, it was the artists and collectors all sitting around the same table and supporting one another and, and really giving each other feedback and learning and growing. How, like, what was surprising to you about how community has formed uh, on sound over the past year? Yeah, we had a pretty, like, atypical, like, launch, right? Like, I, I, I never, like, I thought we would, like, work on it and, you know, one day somebody would care about what, we're, what we were building because um, that's typically the way things kind of go. Um, and I was just blown away by the initial kind of reception. And I think like we kept, we, we, you know, we, we like had like, I, I, it wasn't some like elaborate kind of plan on how we were going to, I just, we never thought it would get this kind of crazy. So we just kind of had to adapt on the fly. And, you know, people would always ask me, why is it like, you know, curated? I was like, cause the thing site was like falling over nonstop. Like we couldn't even handle more drops. There was like, you know, how we could, we were doing each onboarding to this date. We still onboard every single artist personally. Um, and like walk them through the tools, make sure they understand what's going on. Um, Cause we want to make sure artists are like, it's, it's, it's as much as like an artist education thing as anything else. So we want artists to feel comfortable 
people about like what they're entering into the space with and also like what it you know means to put out a music nft and so we still onboard artists white like white gloved and that's like a credit to you know aman and katrina on the artist team for really just like you know and and you know and kind of like i kind of started that trend accidentally um because it just was like something that like i really wanted to make sure that we were like doing 300 percent to kind of build the best community possible so it was a lot of things behind the scenes like that that i think created this culture of like everyone you know um everyone coupling out so i, I think like I was just, I still am like forever like blown away. And like, honestly, I take it as like a huge sense of responsibility and like, I never take it for granted. Um, and I think that's really like the, the kind of the, you know, anybody who knows me knows I still pick up the phone the exact same way I did before I launched. I still respond to messages in point one seconds. I'm still in every telegram chat, you know, responding as much as I can. Um, and so that's kind of like, I can confirm all of these points. <laughs> secret sauce, and you know we're gonna we're gonna ride it until I need to sleep. Uh, but that's pretty much like you know I, I really don't take it for granted. All the artists that have kind of and the collectors that have kind of put a lot of trust uh, in us, and you know that's kind of the the big thing is like like we want to make sure that we do right and proud by every single you know person that's kind of believed in us and. As is, I, you know, the famously, I guess, is kind of tied to sound. As like I always say, we're just getting started because, like, if we stopped here, like, I would essentially consider it a failure, and we have a, we have a long way to go. And I think that's part of the the journey. But uh, I do think it's like the most rewarding and like exciting thing. And just any time I get any message from like an artist or collector, but especially an artist saying like, "Hey, this really helped me pay my rent," or like, you know, this is for something I'm able to make make money on my music. That's just like the coolest feeling of all time. And you know, that really sets us up for like, we want to bring that experience to as many artists as possible. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm curious where you see, you know, to, to that point of like an artist, I remember in the early days of sound and you still see it where like a sellout happens in 10 seconds. It's like, wow, I just made more in 10 seconds than I would have made five years of streaming royalties. One, I wonder what you think of that narrative. And two, where do you see sound in the like, uh, artist playbook, if you would, if like how they, how they make a career in music. Yeah. So I, I think, um, uh, I think the sellout narrative can like be both good and bad. And I, I think it's like kind of important and also like not important at all. Um, so one of the things that's really cool is like if things sell out really quickly, there's obviously a lot of demand for that drop. Um, and that's really cool that the artist has people that really care about collecting it because they're literally there at the inception for like when this thing came out. And I think that's awesome and something to celebrate. I think one of the things that I've been pretty pretty open about is like we're planning to get sound open to the to the public. Um, and I think the goal was like always like these tools are for everyone. Every artist should be able to monetize their music in cool ways. Um, and so to me, like there's going to be more and more things that don't sell out. And one of the things that deeply bothers to me today and something that, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently uh, is like today there's too much pressure on like if it doesn't sell out, it's almost like it's not it's not a good song or it's not a, it's, a, it's kind of a failure. And I think that's absolutely not true because that's actually a parallel to the existing world. There's so much good music that has no streams that's sitting out there. And I think I'm really interested in like how do you basically like, you know, build community after the drop, right? It's kind of a riddle that I'll, I'll leave here, but it's basically like how do you continually um, grow the community around the song but also reward the people that were there first right because i do think it's important that the people who showed up from day one but you can imagine like 
in the beginning, like an artist that's about to, you know, blow up, maybe his first couple of mints don't do very well or don't have that many collectors, but like that artist starts to blow up and now they're doing mints of like a thousand or 2000. Right. Um, I think that that journey and that arc is super, super interesting. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, uh, like just like, you know, I'd say listen to the song first, right? Like there's incredible, some of the best songs are, are the ones that necessarily didn't sell out very quickly. And I think that's something that's really exciting. And part of the, honestly, the game itself is like, can you figure out what songs are like really undervalued and really, you know, not being looked at enough because, yeah. you know, that's, that's honestly the opportunity from both the, the status uh, perspective and also like, you know, a lot of these things end up being worth something, which is pretty interesting to kind of see. Yeah. My, my favorite part has been the crate digging. Like I love going back, seeing like what hasn't minted out from, if you, if you do some crate digging on sound, you'll see things that haven't minted out from earlier seasons or, you know, there might be like an arbitrage opportunity where it's like, huh, this floor price on this one song is lower than the rest. But like, I think there's a really good song. Like what's going on here. And so there's a lot of that. Like it, it forces you to like go back into the music and like get more context, uh, which is always like a really fun experience. And it's not just about like the new releases that are, are dropping every day. You can go back and see like a full catalog now and kind of build that story. Yeah, there's two, there's two reasons why I think music NFTs are like very ripe for going mainstream. One is like, I think people way before web three have had taste in music and like everyone has an opinion on like, Hey, I like this artist or this song. And like, you know, I think this person's going to blow up. And that's already a game that people like play with themselves or with their friends. Um, and so like the ability to judge music is something that was already kind of native to people versus a lot of the times, like, you know, when somebody was looking at like uh, PFP art, right? Like it's like pretty hard to judge why one you know, animal is worth more than the other animal. Um, and so the game is actually a lot more clear. And then, you know, obviously like art was probably like one of the first forms of media to really, you know, tokenize itself. But the people who like really, you know, like pay attention and judge art is a much smaller segment compared to the people that listen to music and have opinions on music. And so I think music NFTs are like one of the most universally like ready to play games of like anything out there. And then two, like there's just never been a clean, simple, fast, easy way to support an artist through their music and get credit for doing so and potentially, you know, make money. And I think that's something that I think is super, super interesting. Um, and I think one of the cool narratives is like, I forget the, the stats. I wish I had it offhand, but like the amount of like value that Daniel Allen has created for like his collectors is super, super interesting to think about. Oh, yeah. They're being rewarded just for the fact that they showed up and supported Daniel early. That to me is like really, really cool because it's not like uh, we obviously spend the most amount of time talking about artists because they're the ones obviously who deserve all the credit. But it's not just about artists alone. It's the entire music ecosystem, right, that like needs to thrive. And that's artists, that's listeners, that's songwriters, that's producers, that's music curators. Like we talked about music blogs, like a lot of music blogs. You know, they're not around. Why? Because the business model was advertising. Advertising has nothing to do with running a good music blog, right? You should be able to, you know, make a career. If you're really good at curating music, you should make a career just being able to curate music because that obviously adds value that, you know, helps elevate artists' careers. And I think that's kind of like, um, you know, sound kind of acted as like a little bit of a curator, right? Obviously to get off the ground. But I think the future is like, you know, everyone, um, you know, being able to be their own curator, right? And you're kind of seeing that now with like, like loaners and like them kind of taking on like, you know, onboarding artists, you see heads doing that. There's a whole, you see, you know, most recently uh, twirl with Astro. Like there's a lot of really, really, really cool, um, you know, um, kind of curation. And I think that to me is like where this is headed is like bottoms up curation instead of top down. I think today, you know, things like Spotify, it's like they run those playlists. It's very, very, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very like they're the ones that are controlling the traffic driving mechanisms versus like you want to create this world where like 
anybody can make a playlist and that playlist might become the biggest playlist in the world and like really, you know, be able to like put on artists. And I think that empowers everyone to kind of have a seat at the table and really change the way that we discover and surface music. Yeah, I wonder, I, I love where you're going with this idea of curation because the, the examples that you gave today, they're almost more in the like DJ Khaled role, like not so much that they're like producer in the studio, but they're bringing, you know, all these people together and, and putting together this music, uh, whether it's like the loners or heads or, or whatever, chaos, all, all of that. But you you hit on a really interesting idea, which is like collectors as curators and being able to make a living off of that. I'm curious, like, to pull that thread, any ideas that you've thought of in that case, like you mentioned playlist, like, are there any models that you could think of where that, where that would work? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, um, like as an example, um, like you, you should be able to make a playlist and be able to monetize that playlist. Maybe if somebody like, you know, goes to the, goes to the, you know, song and actually, you know, mints it from there, like maybe that, you know, um, that person who made the playlist gets some, you know, small like associate fee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think really, again, like anything else, like these experiments just need to be run. Right. I think there's, yeah. there's something that's really like, it's about empowering everyone. I think artists are like, you know, um, like that was kind of like the main thing is like anyone can have taste in music. Right. And maybe somebody's really good at it. And just because they don't work at a major label or some, you know, music company doesn't mean that they can't be incredible music taste. And, you know, if I really identify with your music taste, right, I should be able to just follow you and see all the things. So you can turn me on to even more music. And I think that's something that's really important to me. And something that's been like pretty critical to like the sound team is like, yes, collecting is super important. And obviously the, the life, like the, the heartbeat of what goes on at sound, but it's also cool to have have like kind of a free game which is like you know people anyone can make playlists and like songs and like you know whatever other things that we want to introduce um and so i think it's really important and that's actually how you get people into like collecting in the first place is like let them do things for free i don't believe in like forcing people to purchase something i don't believe in sure. forcing, you know i think if it, it, the way the natural progression is they come to sound you know they, they see a song they first of all they play it they're like okay this music's pretty good then they, they make a playlist they add things to their playlist it shows up in the activity feed so people can see what other people are obviously like you know listening to and adding to their playlist and then they're like okay well, let me try this collecting thing and you kind of you know uh, there's some good memes on like music NFTs hit different uh, once you own them. And I think that kind of kickstarts a little bit of the curiosity and that's when, you know, you kind of get the hook. And I, 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 I think like, fa- like, you know, Facebook famously had like, once you connect with like 10 friends or whatever it is in seven days, you have like some you know, viral thing. And I, I don't know what our number is yet, but you definitely like feel it like anecdotally where like when somebody collects like 10 or 15 or 20, you can see that they like completely change from when they collect one or two. And oh so for- yeah. It's like, how do we get people to collect, like, you know, a couple um, and really get, like, invested in, like, the artist communities? Because there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Like, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, a way to, like, basically form community around artists and songs that have never been before possible. Yeah. How do you think about that drop rate in general? I, I totally agree anecdotally, right? Like, there, there is something that happens after you've gone from, like, a couple to, like, half a dozen or a dozen, like, are there, do you think about that in terms of the features that you launch? I know like recently, you know, being able to, to follow artists and see their feed or like get notifications. How, how do you think about building that product loop where, you know, the collectors know to come back to the platform on a consistent basis? Yeah. I mean, I think you got to, uh, we got to build things that make you want to come back to the, to the yeah. product every day. And so I think we're missing a lot of, I mean, I, one thing about San is like, there is nothing that makes you like, like in terms of the, the drops will make you come back, but like we have no notification system. We have no, 
Um, you know, email marketing, it's entirely been famously word of mouth organic to this day. Like I literally run the Twitter account to this day myself. And that's literally about as deep as it gets. Now that, 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 that story has run pretty far. And now I think, you know, we probably should build some of these things, but I think how do you basically build it a daily product that people come back to today? You're coming back for the drops. I think there's so many other things like, you know, whether it's the playlist, the, the activity feed, how do you make this game really fun so that people can, right. can, can, can view this as like a, uh, a daily experience and how do you make sure that like the music um that like austin really really likes and like is into is always in you know your feed or um and i, I think the cool part is like can you do that in a bottoms up way where like mm-hmm. you are empowered to curate your music feed and it's not like us putting you know the music that we think austin's gonna like in it um and so to me it's like you know how does how does you know how do you how do you basically take ownership over like where you know your music um like what music you're, you're being seen, you're being seen instead of being force fed, you know, from an algorithm. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'd love to talk. I, I haven't really heard you talk too much about this in the past. You know, I, I have a product background. I've always admired your approach to products and it's become a meme now for anyone that is uh, involved in the sound XYZ community about shipping, always shipping, um, <laughs> seeing these ships all the time, but literally it's like every day some like code is being deployed, like some new feature. It feels like, it goes from the collector artist or someone in the ecosystem saying something to, you know, hours later, sometimes it's, it's been committed to code and is, is updated. Talk to me about like your philosophy on product development. And I'd actually like to know some of the like things that you tried that didn't work. Yeah. So I, I think uh, very uh, like famously, like I told everyone um, and I'm not even sure I believed it myself, but I told everyone we're going to build sound in three months and we're going to get traction. Like I, 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 I way before, like the day we started sound, that was the first thing I told people. Everyone was like, A, I don't even know if that's a good idea and B, uh, good luck getting traction. Um, and I was like, we're going to do it. Um, and so the reason why I chose three months as kind of a metric is like, even if I was really confident that sound was going to work, you don't want to waste too much time on something uh, especially like, like you don't want to just waste time on something that's ultimately a bad idea. And the quicker, like my, my, my belief is like, if you give me enough time, we're going to figure it out, but you got to be obviously flexible and able to iterate. And so we built sound like all, the entire of the V1 in three months and, and actually two weeks, we were two weeks late. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, it launched and, um, like that's kind of set the stage for everything else that came. Cause I was like, we built all of sound in like, you know, three months, like there's no excuse for ever going that long. Um, and I think, um, really like we've been really disciplined about that. And so we ship to prod daily. We obviously ship on weekends. Um, we're always kind of, you know, shipping. It's kind of, as you said, become a meme. And I think the rain thing is like, how have we gotten away with like some organic word of mouth, no marketing, like nothing, or it, you know, it's really like, I subscribe to the philosophy that if you, um, um, like if you build a good product, people will come and like a lot of the artists and the collectors have basically been the marketing for us and been word of mouth, which is like the super, the coolest thing of all time. And then, uh, you know, on, on, um, I, I think the other thing is like, I just, as I said, I don't, I don't take it for granted. And like, if you disappear and you stop shipping, you'll fall into like irrelevant land. And I think that's not because it's anything personal, it's just people, we live in a world where like everyone's attention span, including, you know, mine is like pretty small. Right. And so the, the way to stay relevant is to just always be putting out product and testing things, especially in this process. And like, while sound has had, yes, a lot of traction, I think at the same time, we're still so early in this journey that we can't like take it for granted of how we got here. And therefore we need to continue to like iterate and like, you know, test 
things that we thought were working and maybe aren't working and like continue to iterate on these things. So really the sound culture is about putting things out as soon as they're possibly ready, not waiting for perfection. And like, if we truly hit, you know, product market fit and what, like what that means to me is that we're, you know, we're getting sound to open, you know, we're getting a ton of artists paid. We're getting, we're breaking artist songs. Then yeah. Like, you know, surely that that's something to celebrate, but until then, like we never rest on our, on our laurels and, um, we're always back at it, chipping, um, like it's day one. So, um, that's something that I think has been pretty core to sound. And I think in terms of things that like haven't worked, um, I think it's, you know, I, um, I think we've, uh, I, I've got I, one go on. So the, it's not that it didn't work. It's that people really hated it, which was the cue, the cue. Yeah. You want to talk about that? I'm willing to get, I'm willing to give you that. The cue was something (laughs) very famously that sounds like a good idea at the time, which was, this is actually one of the most fascinating insights to me where you have these things called gas fees, obviously on Ethereum people, you know, pay. And it's one of the biggest reasons for why somebody wouldn't want to do anything on crypto because you have to have basically some amount of ETH to do any transaction, even if you have zero to start with. Um, and so basically we used to, we used to have like, like just, uh, we still do like absurd amount of people trying to buy and they're like, um, like, you know, people would just basically like pay gas fees, but not even get the NFT because there were so many people kidding the contract at once. So we were like, let's build a pretty rational system. Like let's enter a queue. Let's randomize who gets in. And you sit in this queue, not knowing whether you got in or got in, but that way we save everyone gas fees and they don't waste any money. Um, and everyone hated the, nobody lost any money. Um, uh, but everyone hated the fact that they couldn't just like slam the button and hit it as fast as possible. Um, and so when we moved to the new protocol, um, which were basically like, you know, a set of contracts at the song level that were like hyper optimized. Uh, we basically took out the queue um, because basically it was, a, you know, made, made it easier for people to like third parties to integrate. I think the queue still makes sense for super, super, super high traffic mints, but for yeah. other ones, it just doesn't make as much sense. Um, and I think that's something that like, you know, I learned a lesson on. It was like people actually never, I, I get very little complaints about wasting gas fees, like which is yeah. fascinating from like a psychology perspective. Like people are down to just waste a couple of dollars trying to hit a high traffic mint just for the pure fun and chaos. And I think that kind of fits a little bit of my theme of just like the more fun, chaotic and simple something is the, the better. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, I, I definitely have learned from. Yeah, it's like. It's it's analogous to the sneakers app. If you've ever gone in trying to like buy a, a highly coveted Jordan or something like that, people want to be able to at least try to go for the buy button. It's when you put them into like a raffle or a queue and then they see that they, it's like try next time that is just so infuriating. Um, so I always thought that one was funny for sure. But I appreciate like a lot of people talk about minimum viable products and they're like, okay, you know, we're going to ship it as soon as it's MVP go. And then we'll continue to iterate. I have always appreciated that you really stand by that. And the product is not ready when it goes live and you constantly build and improve. And I think because of that, you've built a community that understands and expects that the product is going to change and change for a lot of products is really hard. Like you see design updates to Instagram and people are putting up pitchforks because they don't like change. But when you can instill that in a community very early of like, you should just expect us to keep getting better and build this and new things yeah. for you. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. We're, 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 I mean, we're super, 
us is that grateful that like people are down for us to like, you know, have some outages sometimes and some, you know, things are changing and people don't like things and we'll just iterate and change it again. Right. Um, and so really it's like, it, it's, it's like, honestly, like, as I said, like a blessing to be able to have like the artist buy, like, buy in the collectors buy in and just, it's just really, really cool. And I can't tell you how many good ideas have come from like people in the community kind of giving us ideas on like, Hey, here's what I like to see or an artist saying, could you build this? And you know, if it's possible, we're probably going to build it. Um, and so we, you know, a few things coming out soon that I feel like are direct asks from like a lot of people. And uh, I think that's part of the, the, the beauty is the real time feedback. Like I, I know the moment something doesn't go well, like people like you are going to hit me up and say, Hey, like, you know, this is, this isn't it. Um, and so I think that type of real time feedback is also one of the things that, you know, keeps everything kind of a, you know, humble. And I think, uh, the main thing is like, it's, it's never, you're never done shipping. It's always, a it's always, it's a, it's a lifestyle more than anything. Always, else. always ship. We've got, we've got like eight minutes left. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Can't end this interview without hearing the story. For those that don't know, if you go to the top artist of all time by ETH, it's Snoop Dogg. So Snoop Dogg has multiple releases on Sound XYZ. David, I'd love to hear how you got connected to Snoop and how he ended up releasing on Sound. So we were we were at our first team offsite ever in San Diego, um, and I got put in touch uh, with Nick Adler, uh, who works on kind of you know the Snoop Dogg team, and somebody uh, that I think was probably in I, I think was an investor kind of hit me up uh, and said like Snoop Dogg's team wants to talk with you and drop on sound, and I I had like previously talked with Nick and there wasn't really any, any, any interest. Like it just, it was a cool conversation. Nothing was really there. And then a couple weeks later he hits me and says, Snoop wants to drop tomorrow. And I was like, cause they, they had seen the selection mix that we did, uh, which is still one of my favorite, you know, drops on sound. Yeah. Um, and, um, I was like, what do you mean tomorrow? I'm on my team offsite. Like, there's just no way like he'd be ready and prepared. And they sent me this mix and I'm like, it, it just has like, like, like famously, like, welcome to sound at dot XYZ and like in Snoop Dogg's voice. And I was like, this is insane. This can't be possible. Um, and I was like, hold on, guys. Like, I need, I need, a, I just need a second. And then I, I was like, guys, I think we're going to do Snoop Dogg. So whatever traffic volume we got going on, like, we got to like, you know, up, up it and like pray to the heavens that this, you know, the site doesn't crash. So I bought us like a week or two or whatever it was. And then we ended up, you know, doing, doing, doing the drop. And I'm pretty, uh, I remember him, you know, like calling after and saying, can we do this every week? I was like, hold on. Like, that's not the model we're running right now. <laughs> but um, basically like, uh, I, I think one of the things that I've always, no matter who it is, is tried to build a personal relationship and like, you know, building relationship with not just Snoop, but his son, especially Cordell deserves all the credit. Um, and kind of has been just somebody that's been like incredibly um, just like kind to me um, and just brought me like other things. Like he was like one, one you know, after the Snoop Dogg thing kind of happened, um, you know, I went to go visit them in, in the, in the, uh, and actually a small, I, I ran into Farouk there, obviously this sounds by oh, no kidding. So it was a really, you know, funny world of just random people running. I guess that's what, what happens when you're a Snoop Dogg, like people are just running throughout the, uh, you know, uh, running, it was like the Nelk boys and there was just a whole bunch of people just like running throughout and I was just, you know, meeting them for the first time. But I, I just like really wanted to thank them for like, cause that was one of the coolest moments, um, for, 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 for us to, to do that. And I remember being at South by, I think, uh, when that first got announced 
And I was like managing our first event ever and then running upstairs and like doing the Snoop onboarding with the whole team. And I was like, if this actually goes through, I'm going to like, I uh, can't believe it. Like this is going to confuse people so much. And that was really the story was it basically came together in like under like a week. Um, never asked me for anything, like did it on their you know own. And I was like, I really respected that they did that and like just took a chance on us so early on. I think one thing about sound is like they're, you know, like they, it's, it's, everything is like fully on chain. Like, you know, it was completely done and like, it's, which is apparently unheard of. Like Snoop Dogg dropping a song, there was no, like nothing. Like it was just, he uploaded it himself and that was kind of it. Um, and that was something that I think is really, really, really cool. And, you know, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months later, I don't know, Cordell kind of put me in touch with, with, he goes, would you do a drop with Bobby Shmurda? And I was like, that sound, you know, I'm from New York, obviously. And I was like, that sounds pretty wild. Puts me in a group chat with Bobby. I'm like, is this really Bobby Shmurda? get on the phone. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly, uh, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say like, you know, he was too well-versed in web three. I kind of broke it down to him. He was like, like kind of Cordell had kind of vouched for me. He was like, I'm down to do it. Except there was a problem. Uh, he didn't have a computer. Um, he didn't, <laughs> didn't have internet. I was like, okay, this is gonna be complicated. He, he got a computer and I was like, but he didn't have internet. He was like hotspotting. I was like, like there's no way this upload gets done. Like there's just no possible way. And I, I always said I do what you know we do white glove onboardings. Um, and so I actually like he was living in New Jersey and like I drove to his house um, in the middle and you know in I don't forget what day it was, but like after work and you know literally helped him set up a MetaMask, get the you know uh, wallet uh, onboarded, and um, uh, you know that's how we did the upload like in in person. So <laughs> it was one of the most wild experiences and. Uh, still, like, I mean, what's what's crazy is like just the world is so small. And it was like it was at actually a party with Nick, who obviously did the Snoop Dogg thing, and Bobby Schmurter was like came out as like a guest performer in Miami during during Art Basel. And you know, he comes off stage, he recognized I wasn't sure if he recognized me, and kind of comes in with this massive bear hug. And I was like, you know, I, I think people obviously always remember when you make the extra mile. And you know, me, him, and Cordell still talk to this day, and uh, actually seeing Cordell this weekend, so it's pretty. Um, yeah, it was a pretty wild story, but everything is just organic word of mouth. And you treat people right, you know, they'll treat you right back in return. And I think that's something that I think is a bit of the the, the secret sauce is, is just building those relationships. Yeah, thousand percent. I mean, that is just to the core of Web3 and just life in general is, is all about relationships. And you just don't know where things are going to take uh, you. I, I never thought if I start sound like one day Snoop Dogg will reach out and... <laughs> dinner with Bobby Shmurda and like driving to his house to upload a song and helping him set up a metamask and explaining like every aspect of like what crypto is. It was like definitely a wild story, but I was like, you know, if it's a good story, I'm probably going to do it. Um, and so I, I ended up, you know, just doing it in the Twitter space. is one of my favorite. It was like hilarious. I mean, Cordell came to the Twitter space and we all did it together. Um, I think yeah. it's, 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 at the end of the day, it's just building friends with people and making friends with people and just having a good time. And I think um, that's really like, that's, that's really the thing that like I, takeaway you know more than anything else is like i'm most grateful for like the relationships and the friendships that have come out of this um and i think that part is something that i think like is what gives me the energy to do this every day thousand percent so as we as we wrap up a couple of questions left i'll let you get on on your way so you can keep shipping but thinking about just the future of web3 music and sound in particular what what do you hope for the future of, of music NFTs and, and Web3 music more broadly? And what role does sound uh, play in that future? Yeah. So I, I think um, uh, on the on the artist side, like we really want to create um, the 
we, we really want to figure out the value of music, right? And I think how do we have artists focusing on making music and uploading and, you know, uh, basically like the true value of the song being determined, right, by the, by the world. Um, and I think that's something that I think, you know, today it's very like you pick a price, you pick a quantity. And how do we like, you know, think a little bit more creatively, um, which is the hint I'll, I'll give, um, to basically like, you know, like have artists focusing on music and not focused on like the perfect price and perfect quantity and having that, you know, being, being done dynamically. Um, and, and then two, like, how do we obviously help artists? Like how do, how do we break artists? Like how do we basically take artists and like show that you can basically go from anywhere in the world, regardless of who, you know, and essentially, um, you know, become, uh, one of the biggest artists in the world. And on the listener side, like, I think it's like really, really like critical that like, you know, that, being the first backer of, um, you know, an artist means something and actually is worth something. And how do we create as much social status? I always say that the internet has two main properties that dictate, you know, most internet businesses. One is social status and two is making money. Like that explains most, most consumer businesses on the internet. And I, I always say like, if collectors can come to sound and like get the social credit for basically backing and discovering an artist and like, you know, maybe potentially make some money. Um, that's something that's like a really cool experience. And then when you layer on the, like joining the community and like getting to interact with other artists, that to me is like the cherry on top. And I think adds that like magical experience that makes you never want to sell and like always hold one of these things because of the world that it kind of like opens you up to. So I think that's really like, you know, the, 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 like where I kind of see sound playing in is facilitating that. And I think where we have a long way to go is like sound, like we need to get, you know, the entire music population, obviously like, you know, listening and supporting the, the, these artists um, and creating two types of games, one that's free and anyone can play and you don't ever have to spend any ETH if you don't want to. And one that obviously like, you know, is the collecting engine that obviously drives the, the, the ultimate, you know, business model. And I think if we're successful, then we can create a world where, you know, music listeners have individual personalities, almost like artists where like, you know, people, and you start to see this, where like the individual collectors have their own like kind of personalities and kind of like followings around. Yeah. And then also how do you create a world where like any artist can like make a full-time living off their music um, and doesn't have to do so with, you know, more than um, like, you know, more than a thousand people. Um, and can really focus on building like really strong relationships with their listeners rather than like, you know, passive ones. Absolutely. You hinted at something there. I don't know if you're going to be able to say anything, but you talked about two games and one of them not being dependent on spending ETH. Do you see a world in which like sound expands beyond uh, Ethereum and layer ones? Um, so no, it wasn't necessarily where I was going, but, but I, <laughs> I see a world where like, I always say like, I'm interested in helping artists get their music heard and get their music paid. And like, we'll go wherever that, wherever that is. Yeah. I think right now, like the value in the NFT world has been on the, on the, you know, uh, on the layer one and Ethereum chain. I think the main, the main thing is like Ethereum has really helped us. A, it has like kind of an existing community. B, there's like some limitations with Ethereum. Like you can't have the contracts like a certain, you know, gas size or whatever. And I think the main thing is that actually forces you to focus. So I actually think it's a good testing ground for mm. like optimizing things and, and thinking critically about what is important versus what is not important. And, you know, I think if the time comes where moving to a layer two makes sense, like we'll certainly kind of evaluate that. But I think the main thing is like, how do you make a product so good? And so like people will use it wherever. And I think at the end right. of the day, like what chain we're on matters less than like, you know, the product and the experience and what you're actually collecting. Um, and I think from there, like, you know, that will kind of dictate like, like, the chain, like, how does the chain enhance the game that we're trying to, to play? But I do think it is important that, like, we increase the adoption size of, 
um, you know, people that are collecting music NFT. And, you know, today we're around, you know, 7,200 unique collectors. And how do we send that to 72,000, 720,000, 7 million collectors? Um, and that's not even, you know, the, the whole population of, of, what, of potential people that can, you know, listen and collect to music. 100%. So before I let you go, the one question we ask everyone is what is your one big idea you want to leave the audience with? This can be a topic, an idea, uh, anything from what we talked about that you, you want to leave with the audience. Yeah. The one thing I like that's no matter what I've done in my life that I've always seen is like talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And I really want to live in a world where artists can, you know, just upload a song on the internet. It doesn't matter like who you know, where you come from, what you look like. And, you know, if you make incredible music, you should be able to make a full-time career as an artist. And I think that, you know, while ambitious is like, that—that that is the, the goal of obviously sound. And I, I think, you know, uh, I, I think applies to, to a lot of other art forms out there. So that, that, that's it. That's the one big idea, Austin. Well said. Well, David, can't thank you enough for kicking off the season. No one else I'd rather kick it off with. You've been a great friend and it's been really amazing watching both your growth and the growth of sound. So excited to see what's to come for the rest of the year. You know, I, I always say, um, I'm, I'm, it's, there's nothing better than seeing somebody like become a builder themselves and seeing you kind of ship one big idea from nothing and getting it off the ground and how much success you've had has been also a highlight of mine. So I'm, I can't wait to see where you take it. And you're, 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 the, you're the absolute best, Austin. Thanks, brother. All right. Well, for those tuning in at home, this has been season one, episode one with David Greenstein of one big idea. We'll talk to you guys later.